What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Oh, hi! Oh my god, I didn't see you there. Hello. You look great. This is an audio podcast, so we can't see them anyway. And they can't see us. Shh, they look great. Hi, my name is William Bibiani. Everybody calls me Bibbs, and this is Critically Acclaimed, where we do the movie reviews. And my name is Whitney Seibold. I, I write for Slash Film, and it's uh, it's like a documentary for your ears. I guess audio documentaries are still that, That's still a documentary, that's the yeah. thing. Those exist. Uh, whatever. Insert your own strained metaphor here. Please. What are we reviewing this week? A William? whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, uh, it's it's a those... film review podcast. We're talking about movies, and we got uh, seven of them this week. Seven, and, and it's one of those weird weeks <sighs> where, uh, through just sheer happenstance, none of us saw the exact same movie. So we're each... <laughs> You're kind of like... It's, di- it's going to be weird, but... Tossing them back and forth here. That's okay. Uh, this week, we're going to be reviewing the new films, Don't Worry, Darling, Catherine Called Birdie, The Justice of Bunny King... Sydney, Athena, <laughs> Lou, and Raven's Hollow. So, Sydney, Athena, Lou, and Catherine. We got just a lot of, lot of uh, proper names this week. That is. It's a very proper episode of Critically Acclaimed. Well, with that uh, completely hilarious intro that we didn't, uh, didn't whiz down our legs at all. Not at all, uh, no. No. <laughs> what would you like to review this week, William? What would you like to start with? Let's start with uh, the movie that came out let's talk about don't worry darling uh don't yeah don't worry darling you probably heard about because of this weird disastrous press tour mm. where we heard about a lot of uh, interpersonal conflicts on set and certain a- actors were hired and then fired and then their stories conflicted as to why they were hired or fired and the star and the director might hate each other yada 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 who cares it's uh, really honestly, not important it? it's honestly not even that weird no it's like, not like uh, movies that had troubled productions i mean my god that was jaws if jaws came mm. out today everyone would be talking about what like a horrible trouble production it was yeah. like and it was. That was well, look it, it up. That was a legendarily a, troubled production. It, I don't think it was so much a troubled production as it was gossip fodder. There's yeah. uh, the celebrities, a lot of pretty people involved, and, and there there might be some animosity, and mm-hmm. it just there it was turned a, into a narrative. And I hate these supra narratives that uh, enter the the picture where it's like, well, we have to see the movie to find out what all the fuss is about. Like, mm-hmm. no, you should see the movie for the movie. The, the, what's in the movie has nothing to do with any of that drama. There, there are uh, there are definitely dramas that are so problematic, that are so uh, difficult, or which people got hurt, uh, that you should be talking about them. But gossipy shit. No, I'm not super I, concerned I, about it. All I want to know is how good the movie I, is. I, yeah, I don't care who's having an affair with whom. Although, um, there's. Uh, a really amusing scene from I think it was Venice where they had like a big press tour yeah and uh, Harry Styles is in this film as is Chris Pine Mm. Uh, those are actors in this movie and there was a shot of them in the audience where it looked very much like Harry Styles leaned over and spat in Chris Pine's lap. Yeah, like, like, and, and spat he, in it. And looking at it intentionally, he was probably just clearing his throat and the timing was weird. Or, or like sweat yeah. dropped and Chris Pine looks down at his lap as if he's like, what, what the heck? And 
of course, all of the, the memesters on the social yeah. media took to that little clip right away. So I saw a really wonderful uh, animation added oh, yeah. to that where Harry Styles threw a whole dead goat in his lap. Oh, yeah. That one was really funny. My favorite one was uh, Harry Styles was a Dilophosaurus. And instead of <laughs> spitting on Chris Pine, he like shat like that toxic goo from Jurassic Park <laughs> all over him. him. And it was like that ability was pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. But seriously, though, I don't care about the, any those, of that. Yeah, I just want to hear the, about the movie. Uh, so Don't Worry, Darling is the second feature film directed by Olivia Wilde. She previously did Booksmart. And Booksmart was great. Really good movie. Uh, I loved Booksmart. It was yeah. one of my favorite films that year. Very and, funny film. Uh, so she proved herself right away that she can handle character very well and she can handle comedy very well and sort of hold... That's a uh, like a teen sex farce, mm-hmm. and yet it's incredibly sweet and very emotionally honest. Uh don't Worry Darling is Olivia Wilde trying something completely different. Mm-hmm. She's trying something that is all style. She's really kind of stretching as a stylist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Don't Worry Darling takes place in b- about 1960 okay. in a very Palm Springs-like town. Mm. It was shot in Palm Springs. Well, that makes sense. Uh, but it's actually called Victory, California. And it's actually, we learn uh, this... V- gated community of some kind. It's like uh-huh. this little uh, enclave where only the citizens are allowed to remain in there and nobody's really allowed out. It's like this, almost this experimental community. Already the M. Night Shyamalan <clears throat> part of my brain is going, all right, what's the twist? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have a few ideas. Of, I have no idea which one's right. All, all, all of the men get in their nice suits and they get in their candy-colored uh, gigantic boat cars and they drive out to this mysterious building out on the edge of town, like across the desert. And that's where they work. And mm. they're not allowed to talk about what they work on. It's uh. something called progressive materials. And Ooh. we don't know what that means. Uh. And uh, all we know is that Harry Styles, uh, who uh, is married to the main character, main character is played by Florence Pugh, mm. uh, is up for a big promotion. So meet, while all the men are off, the women are at home and they're doing housewife stuff. They're preparing dinner for the evening. They're cleaning a lot. Classic 1950s post-war uh, domestic bliss caricature. I've seen sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Olivia Wilde is in the movie as well. She plays one of the neighbors. Uh, another one of the neighbors, played by Kiki Lane, is uh, suffering from some sort of mental break. Mm. And she's constantly being sort of like ushered away from group activities. So Florence Pugh, who's a friend of hers, doesn't really get to see what's going on. Mm. Florence Pugh and her husband, Harry Styles, are very horny for each other. And they're always having sex on the furniture. Uh, so things seem pretty good. But... Uh, Florence Pugh begins having these very strange visions of some kind. Mm. She's like these nightmarish MTV-like images of like scary dancers, and, and the, or mm. she hallucinates other people looking back at her in the mirror. There's a scene you might see in the the preview where she's cleaning a window, and the whole window seems to be like crushing her. Like the window itself is moving closer and like crushing her against the wall. Okay. Uh, there's a she tries to crack open eggs, and the eggs are empty. Weird stuff, like little weird things like that. Time is out of joint, and we don't exactly know why. Mm. And the don't true ruin it. no, no, and and the true nature of what's going on will eventually be revealed. Mm. Uh, I was unimpressed with what was revealed. Oh dear! I, I feel like the these sort of weird uh, feminist points that Olivia Wilde is sabbing at about how 
what we perceive of as the American dream is actually predicated on misogyny. Well, that's not that's, weird. That's, that's not, not reasonable, weird. actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's reasonable, and it's been repeated so many times that it's not at all novel here. And she's it doesn't not bringing, feel like a twist. She's not yeah. bringing anything new to that kind of message. That was the message of something like Pleasantville, and that movie came out in the 90s. It was the message of the Stepford Wise, and that came out in the in 70s. In the 70s, yeah. yeah. So uh, we've been deconstructing post-war Americana ever since post-war Americana, even during. Sure. Uh, and I feel like Olivia Wilde, although she's trying real, real hard with a lot of her stylistic choices, these nightmare images, a lot of really interesting sound and music in this movie. Uh, there's like a lot of like, almost like Suspiria. There's like a lot of whispers and hints on the soundtrack mm. that maybe the main characters can hear. Uh but she's losing all of like her message in all of that style. Mm. She's trying to do something really ambitious visually and is not doing anything interesting otherwise. Is it interesting? Actually, is it interesting visually at least? Uh, I, more than anything, I appreciated the sound design. I mean, that's, okay. that's all kind of all we were really getting at. I think, you know, the, the costume designer did an excellent job. Mm. Uh, and, there's all kinds of hints at more interesting things going on in this movie that they don't really bring up. Uh, Chris Pine plays sort of like the the like the cult leader of this town. He's mm. constantly giving big speeches about doing your part and this world is ours and we can take control. And it's all very libertarian-ish, mm. like Atlas Shrugged, John Galty kind of things. Mm -hmm. But the true nature of what he's getting at and what the philosophy is isn't really got at oh he just sort of gives these like vague cult-like scientology like platitudes is that a, maybe a commentary about how the platitudes we were fed in the 1950s were a little more than a bullshit lie uh, no it's it's not okay. because that's that what chris pine is saying and doing is unrelated to this sort of critique of oh. the 50s ideal it's it, it's like this Weird. other I other angle that wrapped up together well you'd think so because a lot of those cults came up in the 1950s mm -hmm. if you want uh, i think the master is a much better film that mm -hmm. describes this well, phenomenon even, even if ignoring uh, just cultism this mm -hmm. this image of a pure america which some people mm -hmm. would like to get back to in a very maga Sort of way. There's mm. like make America great yeah. again, but the great that they're referring to is a time yeah, if, of if, great uh, repression and mm. racism and yeah, yeah I mean they, they, they want, institutionalized you know, homophobia. A, a, lot, a lot of know? people want the oppression back because yeah. it, it benefited benefits, a specific group. Yeah. yeah, benefits them. Uh, and uh, no, that's that's not what she's getting. If Chris Pine had played like a little bit more of like a Trump like character mm. or uh, or. Like some somebody who resembled like a real world politician or yeah. spoke like a 1980s yuppie in some way, uh, then maybe that would have played. But he doesn't. Uh, I th I think Olivia Wilde is, isn't being clear. Oh. She's not really telling us anything interesting. So it it ends up falling really flat, even though it's really dynamically filmed yeah. and there's a lot of exciting sexy stuff in it are the performances strong i mean i mean florence well, pugh i would hope is he's well, their usual Flor florence himself. pugh cannot help be great she is just wonderful uh uh harry styles is fine okay um yeah i, I don't think he's asked to do a hell of a lot i, I think chris yeah. pine is really good I like uh mm. olivia wilde she only has a supporting role mm. I mean, Florence Pugh is in almost every single scene, so yeah. it's mostly her movie, and she, yeah, she has the anger and the panic down very, very well. Awesome. Okay. Um, 
So I guess that's that then. You don't sound that's very not, no, impassioned to talk it's... about it in more detail. <laughs> I mean, you know, granted, you have you have to keep it a little bit under wraps. Yeah, well, like, I mean, out of, I, out of respect, I'm not going but... to. I'm not going to reveal yeah any other plot details. Yeah. Um, uh, would you like me to take another film then, or would you like to go on next? As you've seen one more than I have. No, back and forth. Yeah, okay, all right. What, what, I'll, what, I'll, what, go, I'll go what, first and last. What, what do you want? What do you want? Uh, tell me about Athena, because a uh, lot of a lot of critics I trust have recommended this man. Uh, yeah, I, Athena was kind of flying under my radar, and then all of a sudden I saw like everybody talking about it all at once. Uh, it is a new film on Netflix. Uh, it is from a director I'm actually not super familiar with, named Roman uh, Romain Gavras. Okay. Oh, it's uh, Costa Gavras' child. No. Yeah. Okay, well, that actually, that actually makes a lot of sense then. Okay. Okay, so uh, Athena is, I believe it's officially a French film. It's in French. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a French film. Um, and it is the story of a civil uprising. And it opens with a truly wonderfully exciting shot. Like a truly, like we've, we've I've seen a lot of one-take shots. Uh, and it used to be that like a really long uninterrupted, especially moving shot, would be a thing of, of rarity because it was so hard to pull off. And nowadays mm-hmm. it's a lot easier. Well, you don't uh, have to worry about running out of film anymore. You don't have to worry about running out of film, which is a big deal. Cameras are much smaller, and indeed, nowadays mm-hmm. that you can do them with drones, they're a lot mm-hmm. more like uh, malleable and movable. You watch a film like uh, I Am Cuba, Isoy Cuba. Uh, there is, and if you just look this up on YouTube, there's one extended long take shot, moving mm-hmm. shot, in Isoy Cuba that is when you consider what they had to work with at the time of filmmaking in the middle of the century a fucking miracle like Mm. you just have no idea how they pulled it off you can kind of figure it out but just the staggering complexity of it is it blows your mind Mm. Nowadays, easier to, you could do that exact same shot, and it would still be really complicated. It would take a lot of effort and a lot of timing and a lot of resources, and still be really, really hard. But the technology makes it that much easier. So a lot of these shots are finding their way more into more movies, but if they're done well, if they're done in an exciting way that tells the story really well, uh, you can still get a lot out of them. And I think the opening of Athena is a great example of that. Dante, please stop knocking things off the couch. That would be great for me if you would do that, Dante. I love you so much. It's our cat. One of our cats. And in, in true cat fashion, he's doing it completely idly, just like yeah. not even paying attention. Just, just licking his legs. <clears throat> yeah, keep, keep at it, buddy. You're doing awesome. Anyway, Athena opens with uh, a, a man in, I think he's in the, he, he's, I think he's working with the police, and he is coming out to give a press conference. This is all one shot. He's coming out to give a press conference. He said, uh, my younger brother mm-hmm. has been murdered. Okay. We've, there's video footage online that he it looks like he's been murdered by police officers. And I've been informed by the police that they're going to do a thorough investigation <clears throat> and make sure that whoever is responsible mm-hmm. comes to justice. And then the camera pulls out back into the crowd and we see another young man who we will find out is the other guy's brother. Mm-hmm. He throws a Molotov cocktail at the police, and then it turns out a ton of the people in the crowd were actually already there, ready for an insurrection, and they storm the police department, they steal guns, they steal ammunition, they steal bulletproof vests, and then they run to their cars and they drive across town where they form a barricade. And this is all in one shot. Mm. And it is really exciting and dynamic. And this movie is about how one... 
horrible act pushed people over the line to the point that France is now, this is not even an isolated incident. This is civil war. Hmm. And it was all because of police brutality. And on that note, exciting, Hmm. topical, incredibly realized. There's a lot to recommend this movie. Okay. Athena. However, there's a butt the coming. There's a butt yeah. coming. It's not a huge. It, 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 it's not. Doesn't completely undermine it. But right. I think the movie, <clears throat> unfortunately, peters out a little bit after a while because it's about uh, the actually three brothers. There's the brother mm-hmm. who's like working with the police. There's the brother who is creating an insurrection, and then they have another brother who is actually knee deep in in crime, drugs, and gun mm-hmm. running and stuff like that. And they all find themselves on the opposite side of the barricade. The police are coming in. They've got what appears to be hundreds of young people ready to fight, shoot fireworks at the cops, kill the cops. Uh, And a lot of this movie is done in extended one shots. It's not like all Birdman trying to make it all look like one shot. Mm. Some scenes are longer than others in terms of this uh, photography, but this is kind of what they're going for. They're trying to create this "you are there" sense of it like feels immediacy, well. Yeah. It feels so often like, and this isn't necessarily specifically true, but the media makes it feel the way, like social media and our our uh, our awareness mm-hmm. of uh, how divisive so many things in society are. Um, it feels like we're on the verge of revolution sometimes, doesn't it? Like, it feels like everything is really, really divisive and everyone's got full of animosity towards each yeah, other. Yeah. And it's it's a very, it's very much a house divided. And that's true in America and, and other places around the world. Uh, this is a movie that says, what if you were there at the flashpoint? Mm-hmm. Where it turned from, God, it feels like, you know, there could be a civil war again someday. Like, there's yeah. a, in their bad moments, it feels like that. And then there's a moment when it happened, like it just now it is now it now it is civil war. Okay, and you're there at that moment. And when it is focusing on that immediacy, it's really really great. However, it's also a story about three brothers who are taking very different paths and are in the middle of this, at the center of this flashpoint. Mm. And unfortunately, their drama for a lot of the movie isn't all that great. It's a little simplistic, actually. I think it really picks up again towards the end. I was like kind of bored with it. Frustratingly, because of all this technical prowess at, at, at stake here, um, just the actual interpersonal dynamics and the plot were just starting to lose my interest. And then something happens about two thirds of the way through the movie, and it got me back, okay, and got me excited again, and it carried me through like the last part of the movie. It's such a wonderful feeling when a film gets you, like it loses you, and then yeah. you can feel it. Oh wait, no, it'd be better oh, if it you didn't had lose me. Ideas. It'd be yeah. better if it didn't lose me at all. That would that would be preferable. But if you're gonna lose me, get me back. Yeah, yeah. you know. And so this it is takes one of, a lot to get you back. It does. After, it really after does. You've stepped out. It's kind of hard to come when, back. When you've mentally checked out, it's like okay, I know what you're doing now. I see where mm. we're going here. It seems like it's. All, I did not see that coming. That's interesting. What are we doing now? Yeah, yeah. And that happens in Athena. So if you find yourself a little a little bored with it or feeling like it's a little samey after a while and you're wondering is this all there is shit does hit the fan and i'll credit for that mm. so i'm not as deeply in love with it as some other people are i know some people just think it was it's an absolute banger from start to finish okay but it is very exciting filmmaking it's got stuff on its mind i wish it explored it in a more complex way mm. because i feel like once the when the characters are actually talking they don't actually have that much to say which is frustrating because 
they're starting a civil war. You'd think they'd have bigger ideas on their mind. Uh, so that bit feels a little undeveloped, but when the movie is good, the movie is really good. Okay. So I do recommend people seek this out. I do hope you give it a shot. Um, it's another one of those movies people just the Netflix just sort of dumped out there. And fortunately, people are seeing it and saying, hey, that movie's pretty great. I've heard some people say it's one of the best movies of the year. Mm. I'm not going to go that far, but it is good. And I do hope people check it out. Right. I, I, I do want to see it. You've, you've described something really fascinating. Yeah. So I need to... It's definitely... It's, it's, it's a little... Get my own perspective on it. It's a little longer than I thought it would be based on the premise and how it is filmed. Mm. But it's it's a pretty tight film. So I would... Yeah. Definitely yeah. check it out. All right. Well, tell me about uh, Catherine called Birdie. And I wonder what hmm. she told Birdie when she called. Uh, Catherine called Birdie yes. is the latest film written and directed by Lena Dunham. This is her second film just this year. Um, what, what was the name of her last? I missed her last name. I, as did I, honestly. Yeah, um, what's uh, um, the title of that one? It was uh, Jurassic World Dominion. That was what it was. No, it's called Sharp Stick. Okay. How many, how many uh, dinosaurs were in that? Zero. Uh, you don't know. You didn't see it. No, I suppose not. I, maybe there's a dinosaur looking, lurking in there, for all <laughs> I know. No, Lena Dunham uh, has made two movies this year. This is her second one. It's called Catherine Called Birdie. It's based on a, a novel by Karen Cushman, which was a, a, a young adult coming-of-age novel mm. in, in the late 90s. and it oh, was, okay. Or I could, maybe 94. And uh, it was one of Lena Dunham's favorite books when she was a girl. Oh, that's fine. So she's adapted this to film now. That's cool. And uh, so it, it takes place in um, about the 13th century, mm-hmm. like, and it's about this young girl. She's uh, 14. Uh, that's Catherine. Ah. Uh, but she loves birds, so they call her Birdie. That's her nickname. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, Catherine called Birdie. I get it. And uh, she uh, narrates, talks to the camera in this very sort of flip, uh, uh, self-aware kind of way. Mm-hmm. And talks about sort of her friends, mm. the people she's ha- she hangs out with, her family, her... her uh, Dad is a little bit of a dolt, and her mom is a little bit dotes on her a little bit. Mom is played by Billy Piper from uh, Doctor Who. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, wouldn't you know it, her dad is destitute. He's kind of oh, fallen yeah. upon hard times. If you've read Jane Austen, you know exactly what's happening. Uh, Birdie is, even at her young age, to be married off ah. to the richest husband they can find. Right. And she, being the uh, brash, flip, independent young woman she is, mm. uh, will have none of it. Mm. And she starts training her birds to kill her suitors. Uh, you read different Jane Austen novels than I did. Okay, that's um, fine. That's fine. <laughs> I read Pain Austen novels. Sense and no, wait, hold no. on. Sense and violence ability. Sure. <laughs> violence and sensibility. There you go. Done. That's a little cleaner. Pride and pugilism. Uh, (laughs) That's all I got. I love it. No, uh, she's going to be married off. Young Catherine. And she she wants none of it. So uh, there are a few amusing scenes where suitors come to visit and she does everything she can to amusingly sabotage them. Mm. She learns that uh, one of them doesn't like a girl who cries. So she tries to, you know, ball her eyes out at any available opportunity. Uh, But... 
Mm. As trite as that sounds, sounds uh, it's trite. yeah. That that's that's the predictable part of the movie. And that's well, I mean that's plot, fine, and that's the plot of the movie. This yeah. movie is actually a lot more than that. Uh, there's actually a lot of scenes devoted to uh, Catherine having conversations with her friends or with her family, coming up with other solutions. Um, uh, Sophie Okonedo shows up mm. as. Uh, an in-law of hers who becomes a little bit of a confidant and they talk about running off together. Uh, There's, we get to know the parents a little bit better. Like there's actually scenes of them relating and talking to each other about things other than the plot. In fact, the plot turns out to be a very small part of this movie. A lot of it is just uh, Catherine coming to terms with growing up and learning about all of the people around her mm-hmm. and letting her exist in this more warmer, more fully realized world. Oh. Um, there are some anachronisms on the soundtrack, but mercifully mm. the film doesn't give her like hip dialogue. Mm. Um, if you recall Pinocchio, uh, there, yes, there I was, recall Pinocchio. Yeah, there, there were scenes where it's like, Oh, well, you're made of pine. We'll call you Chris pine. Oh, isn't that cute? Or you'll, you'll be an influencer cute modern language sandwiched into a period film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lena Dunham doesn't do that. Okay. Uh, the attitudes are very modern, but the language is still uh, you know, on the level. Uh, also, you know, she's learning to grow up. She's becoming a young woman, and uh, her having her first period is a big part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, her learning how babies are made is part of this movie. Uh, okay. the, the film opens with, oh, God, I've learned how babies are made, and it's gross. And her handmaiden's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, but I guess you're going to find out sooner or later. And uh, she says, yeah, I mean, like, they stick hot poker in your nose, and then you poop a baby out your butt. It's like, okay, hang on a second. <laughs> Let, you're 14... Let me, you know what, later. <laughs> I'm curious where she got that from. It, well, it's like she got it from another 12-year-old. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Hearsay and rumors. Yeah, okay. the, the rumors you, you heard in school before. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember the ignorance yeah. of, of youth. My, uh, my mom was an obstetrician, so yeah. I actually don't you remember knew. the ignorant yeah. ignorance part. It's like, yeah. you know, babies are made? Yeah, sex. Wait, what? Like, people didn't come to me. It's like, I was like, no, yeah. I know. Oh, we wanted like rumors and fun, dirty secrets. We could yeah, tell we're, each we're, other. we're we're imagining that we're like uh, like uncovering the X Files. Yeah, <laughs> like it's some kind of secret that's being kept from us, and not something just kind of banal and sweaty. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like seven years old. Yeah, and the egg travels from the ovary uh-huh. down the fallopian too. It's like, yeah, no, we want we want. Look, we're five. We're, we want something scary. Like we're we're young and we watch a lot of cartoons. We want it to be full of incident. Damn it! Right. We want it to be full of intrigue. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I didn't know like much beyond like sort of the dry details. No, you, but you got you knew more than but most. Yeah, didn't I, you? I knew yeah. the gist of it. Yeah. So so yeah, the, the scenes where like a fourteen year old says, "Oh gosh," and they stick a hot poker in your nose. Yeah, it's like that's cute. The whole yeah. movie's cute. Okay. The movie, the movie's like warm and huggable, yeah. uh, in in a very slumber party sort of way. This is a yeah. slumber party movie. Right. This is something that that kids like fourteen year olds can get together and watch in a group, and I'm, it's really really enjoyable. I'm enjoying this wave of returning to sort of Jane Austen Victorian era, or 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 
in that vein, mm. the, 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 the costume, pieces, the yeah. costume drama uh, uh, genre, but with modern sensibility, I think we've had some really fun examples of that. Uh, mm. uh, the princess was, I thought, was kind of a fun one. Where I wasn't uh, so fun at the princess. But what if we but, do it as a, what if we do it as an action movie? Is a fun it, idea. Yeah, yeah. Certainly, that's a fun. It's a fun idea. I, the, the fighting is fu- it's kind of an empty movie, but the fighting's it, fine. But it was a novel. Uh, it was a novel the, thing that Emma, you, everyone raves yeah, about. The, has, well, the, the one vibe. I was going to bring up was Enola Holmes. Yeah, there you go. Which is another another based on another uh, young adult novel. Yeah. That's about uh, Sherlock Holmes' long lost younger sister. Yeah, and there's a sequel coming out to that pretty soon too. The, I, uh, I heard there. Uh, uh, the the rumor when Enola, Enola Holmes was gaining mm. a little bit of traction. Uh, it's a Netflix film. Uh, was that they were going to do a sequel? But without Enola, it was just going to be Sherlock. It's like, no, oh fuck you! No, what would even be no, the point of that? That's not the point. No, that's, the whole point I'll, is that, that is, it's that is the sister. She has her own personality. Started out. that as an asshole. Yeah, don't do so that. So they're they're bringing yeah. they're doing Enola Holmes Good. too, and they're bringing back Millie Bobby Brown. The, the, so. I, we don't review trailers here, and I generally don't talk about them too much. But I did see one of the funnier trailers I have seen in a while. Mm. Who knows if the movie will hold out? Maybe it's all the good stuff. But uh, have you seen the trailer for Rosaline yet? No, oh, is it another Rosaline Romeo and Juliet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's basically it's Ro- still star, still yeah, Ro- Romeo and Ju- Romeo uh, uh, dumps Rosaline. Yeah, and she she's she like overhears the entire balcony scene, and apparently all of the shtick that he threw on Juliet, he already used on her. That's hilarious. So she has it in her to like try to destroy them and uh, ruin their relationship, and it actually looks pretty funny. I'm not gonna okay. lie. Um, so we already saw the the. It was, it was LaShawn Lynch, wasn't it? Was it? La- yeah. LaShawn is still star-crossed. And still star-crossed. That was, was uh, uh, with Rosaline. What happens after Romeo and Juliet is over. And, that fr- was a su- and it's from Rosaline's perspective. Yeah. And that was a surprisingly good show. Yeah, they actually like got into a lot more about the Montague Capulet rivalry and like yeah. who who will have the honor of building like a particular church in the middle of Padua. Like, it was it was like what if Verona, excuse it, me. It was like what if Romeo and Juliet was just like a one season arc on Dallas and now we're in the second season. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's actually not a bad idea now that I think about it. It worked the, out pretty uh, good. The dumb part at the end is like it. Oh, it looks like Juliet might be still alive. Oh, like she faked her death, and it and Lady Montague is also Lady Macbeth. Yeah, like masquerading as somebody else that, in, in Scotland. Like I thought that was kind of funny, stuff, actually, but, but whatever. Um, well, speaking of uh, of uh, just sort of screwing around with the past, mm-hmm. uh, the next film I saw is Raven's Hollow. Oh, it sounds scary. It does, doesn't it? Raven's Hollow is a historical fiction film in which Edgar Allan Poe, as a young man in a military academy, mm-hmm. stumbles across a supernatural murder. Hooray! Yeah, fun idea, honestly. It's kind who, of been done. There was that John Poe? Cusack movie. Yeah. Some guy! Um, <laughs> uh, the John Cusack movie was just called The Raven. Yeah, and, and that yeah, was that basically, was... it was at the end of uh, Poe's career... Someone who was obsessed with his works was murdering people based on his stories, yeah, well, and a detective brings Poe in to help him investigate. Yeah, uh, good idea, fun idea, and yeah. it actually uh, Poe uh, was a notorious alcoholic and would go yeah. on these benders and just vanish from the face of the earth yeah. for extended periods. And yeah, before the end of his life, he was missing for several, mm. I think, several weeks. Um, Poe scholars would correct me. Yeah, uh, and. He was found at the end of that dead on a park bench. He yeah. had drunk himself to death. Yeah, uh, and 
the movie takes place in that those missing few weeks, and it turns out he wasn't on a bender. Mm. He was solving a murder. Yeah, yeah. It was, he yeah. was helping out detectives and being yeah. a detective it, himself. It was a pleasantly stylized film. Like it had like a nice spooky vibe to it. Terrible and John, script, though. Terrible script. John Cusack was okay, but terrible script. Um, so good idea, bad execution. Totally something you can visit again. Raven's Hollow. Uh, it stars William Mosley, not Bill Mosley, William oh. Mosley. William Mosley is uh, probably best known as one of the children from the Chronicles of Narnia movies that came out oh, okay. uh, like 10, 15 years ago. Um, he and his br- and his uh, military academy bros are riding through northern New York, I think, uh, and they stumble across a man who has been tied up ritualistically, blood everywhere, some kind of human sacrifice. Okay. And he's dying. He isn't dead yet. He says one word. Raven. And the raven never flitting. Yes. Still is sitting. Still is sitting. Uh, whose house? Raven's house. <laughs> it's a song. Um, they figure out that the nearest town is called Raven's Hollow. Hmm. So they go and they check it out. And it's full of weird, creepy people doing weird, creepy things. And they're mm. like, we don't know who that guy was. He certainly didn't come through town recently. Except maybe he did. So they're investigating it and they talk to various people, many of whom are creepy. But mm. it turns out some people die. And one of them gets like supernaturally like flung around, but no one sees it. So the audience is way ahead of it and he gets horribly murdered by some kind of monster and eventually it turns out there's some kind of like supernatural raven monster attacking this town and the town is built on secrets and lies okay so is this Mm. like fun schlock or is this completely stupid because both you're describing something incredibly stupid but it could be fun here's the thing with raven solo uh the script feels like, I'll, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. The script feels like a mockbuster for Sleepy Hollow. It's literally okay. called Raven's Hollow. It follows many of the same basic story beats. Uh-huh. It's got that vibe. It feels like we want to do our own version of Sleepy Hollow. At which point I would say, you know, Sleepy Hollow is public domain, right? Just you could do just Sleepy do Hollow. that again. If you really want to play with it, I guess you could do Raven's Hollow. So that's what they've done. It's That it is like over... T- 20 years removed from Sleepy Hollow mm. takes a bit of the sting off of how derivative it is. Talk about Tim Burton's film. Yeah, Sleepy, Sleepy Hollow. Hollow. Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, if you'll recall, uh, took the classic Washington Irving story, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, and framed it as sort of a hammer horror detective, uh, story, detective yeah. story about a detective, not a teacher, investigating a series of beheadings <laughs> rather than just falling prey to what may or may not even have been a hoax. Um, it's a very very fun movie. Mm. I, I've I've soured a lot on Johnny Depp after a lot of the this unpleasantness, but it's still an excellent film. Mm. This is the knockoff version of it with Edgar Allan Poe. Um, the script not, is not, not it, a terrible. Thought. It, not, it's not a terrible thought. Honestly, like again, you can say like, oh, that's just Sleepy Hollow. Sleepy Hollow was over twenty years ago. Hmm. So doing it again well, feels I'm, like a play can be a playful homage and I'm to a it, movie that is quite uh, old now, and I'm not I'm not offended by that. Is my point? That's not in of itself a critique. That's just an observation. When was the last Legend of Sleepy Hollow movie? Because it surely wasn't the uh, there was the TV series. 
okay. Sleepy Hollow TV series, which was took place in modern day. It was like Hocus Pocus, Ichabod Crane, and the Headless Horseman awoke in the present day. Uh, right. There's this amazing bit with this. The Headless Horseman is wandering around killing people, and at one point it has a machine gun. Like, that's a great image. That's just a great All image right. in and of itself. I fell off after the first season, but it was kind of fun. Um, but it hasn't been done to death, Sleepy Hollow. It really hasn't. There's there's plenty of stuff yeah, to I mean, work there's a it. lot of Sleepy Hollow. There are. But, yeah. but it's been a while since we've had a um, major production. After of it. Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. I, I just looked this up. Yeah. Sleepy Hollow High. Nice. I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. That could work. That could be fun. Sent to the sleepy, uh, misbehaving students sent to the Sleepy Hollow Park grounds to clean up vandalism and graffiti, and they soon realize that someone is taking the original legend too far. That's fun. Um, can work with that. Let's see. There's a bunch of TV movies in the 80s. Yeah, one of them had uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum as uh, Ichabod oh, Crane. Wow. Yeah, I watched that as a kid. It was pretty good. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it in a long time, though. Uh, yeah, uh, The Hollow, an ABC Family television series, starring mm. Kevin Zegers from uh, Airbud. Huh. Uh, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, two thousand four, uh, was an episode of Charmed. There's the crime mm. horror series Sleepy Hollow from twenty thirteen. That's what you were talking about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So it, they they keep coming back to they this. keep coming back, but it's not like every fucking year like a Dracula movie or anything. It's not oh, like okay. super duper tired. So again, I'm not objecting to the premise. The problem is that the movie is clearly written. With a lot of in-jokes, there's a guy in there named Usher. Turns out that uh, the young woman who's like the romantic... As, uh, as in Fall of the, ho- fall of the House. Yeah, of no, I got it. Uh, there's a young woman who's like the uh, the love interest for Edgar Allan Poe. Her name is Melanie Zanetti, is the actress. And at first you think, oh, is her name going to be Lenore? And it, then it turns out it's not. And you're like, oh, oh wow, <laughs> how did they resist the urge to do that? <laughs> then it turns out her sister had been kidnapped by the Raven and her sister was named Lenore. And you're like, oh, all right, fine. A uh, lot of that shit. The part where I got kind of offended, uh-huh. because I'm okay with playing with history, I'm okay with like historical revisionism or fiction, if you're being very, very clear about it. I'm, I'm not okay with it when you, you really, um, when you fuck with tragedy, I think you can be disrespectful in that regard. You know, well, it depends like, if it's fictional tragedy or real tragedy. No, but this is but real tragedy, for example. Right. Like for and this is not maybe not a tragedy on the level of say those animated movies about the Titanic, which said it all ended okay because a friendly giant squid saved everybody. That's offensive. That's a weird. Yeah. Because a lot of people died, and you're glossing over that. This one uh, argues that uh, Edgar Allan Poe's opium addiction. Mm-hmm was actually something he used to fight evil. Like like it gave him superpowers. Like the the raven monster in this this movie uh, is able to like sort of make people see shit. And he's like, okay, I got to be able to keep my wits about me. So for the last third of this movie, I'm going to be chugging opium. And it helps me. It helps me see the monster when no one else can. So his drug addiction is a superpower. And also, now that he's on drugs, his talking gets all fanciful and poetic, as though the drugs made Uh, him a great author. And that's uh, just irresponsible. That's irresponsible. That's just. Um, I get what you were getting at. I'm sure you mm -hmm. thought you were very clever when you were high and coming up with plot points for this movie at a Wendy's at 2 a.m. But this is not cool. Hmm. That's that's fucked up. That, that was an, a plot point in uh, the cabin in the woods. Um, one of the characters was found that he was like immune to us. Yeah, he was smoking so control. much weed. Yeah. He was he, the, the the mind control gas wasn't hitting him. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's, that's playful though. Exactly. That that's yeah. like a, a that, bit of play po, for a joke. Poe po, po fucking died from shit like this. Okay, yeah. like that's not cool. It's a fucked uh, up thing to do. So I, uh, I'm not a fan of that. 
And the other big problem with this movie is that the script is kind of this fun throwback hammer horror thing. Mm. The direction is dour, A24, Janusz Kaminski, severe lighting. And it just feels like the movie's at war with itself. Like there's a fun screenplay and it can't emerge from the self-serious direction. Mm. And so the movie just doesn't work. I want it to. Mm. I heard the pitch and I was like, that sounds fun. Mm -hmm. That could be fun. Let's do this. And just none of it just doesn't fucking work. Oh, that's too bad. And the idea that Poe was actually this handsome, confident, heroic stud uh-huh. who turned into the man we know today because of heroic drug taking is um Well the, it's a weird vibe you went for. You sta- went for a weird vibe. Staging Poe as a romantic hero uh-huh. is kind of a strange idea to begin with. Yeah. That's not really what he was known for. No. Yeah. Uh, I saw a really wonderful uh, one-man show. Was, oh, was uh, it the Jeffrey uh, Combs show? The Jeffrey Combs one, yeah. Oh, I'm uh, so Stuart, jealous. I Stuart Gordon uh, came up with this one-man oh. show uh, with Jeffrey Combs where he played Poe as if oh. uh, Poe were giving a live performance and he oh. plays Poe. And oh, you, I would, I would are, kill to have seen that. And of course, you know, the, the gag is uh, he... He sees someone in the audience that he knows, an old lover who jilted him, and he gets really mad, starts <laughs> yelling at her in the audience, and starts drinking on stage. And of course, he got. It is rumored that he had like an allergy to alcohol that made him drunker than it would otherwise. So, yeah, I heard so that. he got yeah, like yeah, yeah. super drunk on stage. Uh, and yeah, and Jeffrey Combs, of course, kills it because he's a great actor. He's an amazing actor. Yeah. Oh, bummer. So, so yeah. Um, I wish I could say I wish I could say it's just a mixed bag, but it just mm. doesn't work, unfortunately. Yeah. But again, fun premise, just uh, it doesn't work. I, I have this because I see it done so poorly, so frequently. Yeah, I. It seems like filmmake modern filmmakers, younger filmmakers, don't really get what mm. made like old schlock fun. Too often. Yeah. Too often. Yeah. There's there's definitely I think an appreciation for aesthetics a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but there's there's often a disconnect. This is one of the things that we've talked about this a million times. This is one of the things that made Star Wars so great. Mm. Is that George Lucas was able to translate the movie he thought he was seeing as a child. Yeah. When he watched Commando to, Cody and Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and all kinds of stuff. Make that feel important yeah, for like, an adult. I want, I want an adult who doesn't have the same flight of fancy that I have, who doesn't have the nostalgia goggles I have for that stuff, to see the movie I always had in my head. Mm. And he was great at that. And he brought it out and it was really beautiful. A lot of people just sort of do shit. Stuff. Well, they like fall I, back on yeah. on style and iconography without really under, without having a love for it necessarily. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is going to be kooky fun. It's like, no, you ha- you have to be having fun with it. Mm-hmm. You I, have to kind of love this weird stuff you're doing. And you don't just have to love it. You have you, you say to yourself, you have to understand it. And yeah. I think that's something that, and I think it's something that we see a lot whenever anything new is popular and we get a ton of imitators. Mm-hmm. Everyone's, there'll be a few of them that are good, that are like legitimately people on the right wavelength, but a lot of them will be people just, okay, found footage is popular, we'll do a found footage. Okay, do you know what makes found footage scary? No, but we'll do one. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that just, it, it, this feels, again, this feels like a mockbuster. It feels yeah. like someone got the gist of it, but didn't understand or fully appreciate what made it work. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe 
someone on the production had the right vibe, but it feels as though the movie is fighting itself. Like, it's yeah. just trying not to be as schlocky as it clearly intends to be. Um, and it's just not there. It's just not there. They don't no, have the material. That's such a pity. It's a bummer because it was a fun premise, and it just they, 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 they didn't make it work. Yeah. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Uh, tell me about another movie. <laughs> I don't know what uh, you saw. What did you see that's so uh, well, special? I, I told you what I saw. I um, don't care. No, I care. I just yeah. don't have it. I have it written down over here on the table. Tell me about the Justice of Bunny King. Uh, um, the Justice of Bunny King is a new film from New Zealand. It stars uh, S.E. Davis, who is the star oh. from uh, The Babadook. Yeah, brilliant. Should so, yeah, have been she, Oscar nominated. She's really brilliant wonderful, and she plays uh, a homeless woman. Okay. Who uh, has been couch surfing? She's been crashing with some family members. Uh, she you know, washes windows at intersections. That's kind of the only way she's making money. And she has two kids. Uh, she has a sort of like an adolescent son and a much younger daughter who's I think about to turn six. And they are currently staying at a, in a foster family. And she is trying really, really hard to spend time with them. Right. But because she doesn't have a fixed address, she is prevented from seeing her kids through, like, the laws of Child Protective Services. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know New Zealand law, so I don't know the specifics. All I know is that she's kept away from her children, and she has to prove that she has an address, not just has an address, but is a professional, responsible person in right. the eyes of this organization in order to spend any time with them at all, in order mm -hmm. to get, like, some some custody of her kids. Yeah, 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 it makes sense, yeah. Do you know how fucking hard that is? Yes, yes yeah. I do, yeah. <laughs> this is a movie about how fucking hard that is. Yes. This is a movie about her, uh, and... About her, like, struggling and trying to put things together and trying to, you know, get an apartment and trying to impress the right people so she can get an apartment, trying to impress the right people people so she can get the right clothes to where to see the person she might get an apartment from all these little tiny details that she has to work really really hard mm -hmm. to get and then uh, when you don't have those like baseline yeah. comforts mm. and privileges yeah no. they're really difficult to get yeah. uh she spent some time in prison early in her life it's over for her because of that mm. the organization won't let her see her kids like okay mm. well you've been doing all of this but Oh, now it's been pushed back to the end of the line again, and you can't see them again for another six months, and she is livid. Yeah. Uh, her niece is played by Thomas McKenzie from uh, Last, oh. Night in, Last Night in Soho and yeah. many other things besides. Yeah, she's great. Um, uh, it, it's not her fault that, la that I hate Last Night in Soho. <laughs> <what she's> like, <laughs> no, she's good at it. Yeah, she's, she's a brilliant a, actor. She was great in Jojo Rabbit. She was great in, um, what was that Ben Foster movie she was in? Um, Oh, uh, Leave No Trace. Leave No Trace. Yeah, Leave, no, Leave no Trace is really, really good. Yeah, great movie. Um, yeah, so she she's really fine, and uh, yeah, Essie Davis at one point rescues her from somebody who might be doing something a little bit shady. Mm. Uh, uh, no more details there. Uh, and as we go through this kind of almost Ken Loach working class struggle that, that we're having, uh -huh. uh, we're getting to know uh, the Essie Davis character, Benny King, the character, very, very well. Uh we there there might be a temptation here to show this as just a, a humorless grind that this is just about a slot like Oscar Verhati would just rub your face in the red tape of yeah. all this garbage. Uh, 
Bunny King is a much more textured person. She has a sense of humor and she laughs a lot. And she's actually very upbeat and very energetic a lot mm. of the time. She has a, a temper that gets her in some trouble, but it's an understandable streak of anger about the injustice that she is facing every mm-hmm. day. Uh, it's really, really great uh, as it goes along. It kind of whiffs the ending a little bit. Oh, dear. It gets to be a little bit sensationalist, and there's like mm. a, there's a standoff at some point, and I'm not going to go into too many details. But right. uh, up until that point, it's a really great character study mm. that is used to communicate this social injustice story. Wow. Uh, Essie Davis is freaking great. She's like she's a just a actor. wonderful actress. She's such a great actor. I'm actually always amazed that she never got like and, really big roles after the Baba Duke. Such an incredible performance. And, and yeah, well, Bunny King is a really wonderful great. character. Uh, I'm I say it's been a while. You know, yeah, yeah, this this character who is uh, has to face all of this injustice, but who is this full? I, I was given like Norma Ray kind of vibes, mm. where she's like really struggling, but also very upbeat and has a lot of really interesting relationships. And you understand why she does everything she does. Uh, Up until the end, when it gets a little bit more melodramatic, it it starts to fall apart a little bit. But Mm. until then, I I was really entranced. That's awesome. All right, well, I saw a a movie... um, So I saw this new movie, Lou. It's on Netflix. It stars Allison Janney and uh, Jernay Smollett. Okay. And... I I like them. I like them, too. Logan Marshall Green is in it as well. He's a really good actor. Uh... As I'm watching it, I, I realize what the elevator pitch was, and I think this is a truly great elevator pitch. Do you remember uh, Margaret Hamilton's character in The Wizard of Oz before she became the Wicked Witch yeah, of the West? Yeah, Mrs. Gulch. Elmira Gulch. My, yeah. What if Elmira Gulch was ex-CIA? Oh, my God. No, 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 but it's good, though. So here's the deal. <laughs> I know, it sounds. this isn't a Wizard of Oz riff. It's basically like, what if... This old woman who lived near you and seemed like kind of like an, uh, uh, a mean-spirited recluse. Mm. What if she was a badass? Okay. So, Allison Janney plays a woman. She lives on an island. Uh, like one of those small islands with like a small community. It's hard to get to. Uh, and her tenant, who has like a trailer on her property. Mm. played by Jernay Smollett. She has a young daughter. And one night, middle of the night, this... Uh, uh, woman knocks on the door of her old crotchety landlord and says, my daughter has been kidnapped. My husband who is ex special forces has come here and he has kidnapped her. And it's in the middle of a, of a hurricane. Mm-hmm. So all the power lines are down. Then we can make a phone call. It's also set in the eighties. So it ruins all this uh, phone call business. So it really just okay. takes it all out of the, uh, takes it all out of the picture. You, okay. don't have to worry, you don't have to worry about cell phones here. Good idea. Um, I, I need your help. To, con- to, to, get, to call the police. And Allison Janney, whose character's name is Lou, says, we don't have that kind of time. And she grabs her hunting rifle, grabs her dog, and walks out into the hurricane with Janae Small behind her to track down the missing girl. And she's ex-CIA. We find that out very early on. It's the missing girl named Dorothy. No, no. I the, the, all the, don't don't read anything in the Wizard of Oz. I added that. That's yeah, none I, of that's I, in the picture. I know you you, you none brought, of you brought it picture. up. So now that's all. But I it's can just imagine Margaret, Margaret Hamilton, Margaret Hamilton being a badass. With a shotgun. Yeah, just imagine Margaret Hamilton. Imagine if none of the Wizard of Oz shit happened, but Auntie M showed up at Elmira Gulch's house saying Dorothy's real parents came in and kidnapped her, and Elmira Gulch picks up a gun, cocks it, and says. 
Let's kill him. Like, I'm in. <laughs> what a fucking awesome premise. Allison Janney, Academy Award winner. Allison Janney, one of the greatest actors of her generation. Honestly, I mean that. Awesome here. Like, she's so interesting in this role. Mm. Uh, she's got a lot of depth, got a lot of complexity to her. Janae Smollett, uh, you know, it seems initially like she's just going to be the person who just sort of tags along to this. But when they get into the complexity of, like... Why was she in an abusive relationship for so long with a guy who would do this kind of thing? And they, they finally find like a common ground in terms of, I guess, everybody's got something in their life that no one could understand if you tried to explain it to them. Mm. Like there's some some real, real close interconnection here. And this is directed by Anna Forrester. Anna Forrester um, directed a lot of TV. The one feature film she did is not a great film. It's not... A, Unbelievably terrible film, but it's not a great film. She directed Underworld Blood Wars, the most, the oh last Underworld movie. What, the, the nice piece of schlock. That it's one, it's uh, a piece of schlock. It's perfectly hmm. watchable. I don't remember much of it because it's just a bunch of They're like bunch of nonsense. Yeah. It basically turned into the Resident Evil franchise after a while. Just a bunch of nonsense, but entertaining nonsense. Mm. She directs the shit out of this movie. It, it looks great. All of the major action scenes and bullet points. It's not like huge action, but everything that in it is like super intense. A mm -hmm. um, lot of great character moments. Nicely photographed. Really, really great performances. The movie only hits a sour point a little bit in the middle. When they start going a bit more... It's, it's less about hunting down this guy who's taking this girl and trying to get her off this island before he can do it. Because um. then who knows if they'll ever find him again. Uh, and it becomes a little bit more about revealing more about the characters. And we start to run into a few familiar tropes, a couple of bit of hackney plot points. I will say this for the film, though. This movie is so well made that even if you, if you hear the plot point and you go, oh, this again, hmm. I've seen this a million times, this movie does it better than most. Okay. Because it doesn't feel like an arbitrary thing they throw in at the end to raise stakes. It actually retroactively like makes the movie make a little bit more sense. It's not like when like you find out Darth Vader is like Luke Skywalker's father, and then you think to yourself, wait a minute, then why the fuck did Obi-Wan Kenobi say that Darth Vader killed his father? What the fuck is that shit about? <laughs> that doesn't track. And then they have to figure out a way to like around that in the next movie. Like, no, everything tracks here mm. when more information comes up about the characters. Like, oh, okay, all right. I still don't think we needed it, but it works. Um, Allison Janney kicks ass in this movie. It's a really taut thriller. It's classy for all around, top to bottom. This is the good version of this movie. Okay. So I really dig this movie, and I think it's really, really cool to see Allison Janney get a role where she gets to kick ass. <laughs> uh, and yeah, you should check out this film. I really, really like this film a lot. Okay. Yeah. So Lou, awesome flick. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I missed it. I know. Um, I, 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 I like a good schlocky movie. It's not. It's not even that schlocky. It's just. It's just like the a good classy example. It's like um, you know, like Taken is a little fascistic, but you know, it's just like <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's just like alarmingly well made. Like every part of it, every dramatic beat works, uh -huh. even if it shouldn't, because it's shitty themes. Here, it's just another one of those like you know what? Every bit of this basically works, didn't it? There's really nothing okay. like really undermining it. It's, again, there's a bit in the middle where, like, hey, it's a little familiar, but whatever. It just works. It's just the version of this that works. Right. I know some people can, like, be a little tiresome about how, like, oh, I've seen it before. And is it done well? And here it's done well. Like, I wouldn't be complaining. Like, I didn't even complain when, when Raven's Hollow was just Sleepy Hollow again. 
Uh-huh. That's not the problem. The problem is it didn't do it well. Mm. Here it does it really, really good. Right. So see this fucking movie. It's really <laughs> great. And I hope Anna Forster gets some really big uh, uh, type of projects after this because she's a really excellent director of thrillers. Uh, like uh, that Underworld movie she did didn't give her a lot of room to work because it's just full of nonsense like, plot and like incident. It's their sixth movie in that series. Yeah, yeah, there wasn't a lot of character work to work with or anything like that. It's, it's just kind of just assembling stuff you need to cap out a franchise. Here, she's telling a great story. It works. Okay. So, yeah, please see this movie. I think you'll, I think you'll really like it. Uh, and I guess the last movie we're reviewing is Sydney, unless I'm forgetting something. Uh, I saw Sydney. Well, I know you did. Right. I'm just trying to make sure we know I'm not forgetting something. Yeah, that's it. The last one. Right. Tell me about... Sydney. Who is Sydney? Uh, Sydney is Sydney Poitier. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> uh, this is a documentary on Sydney Poitier uh, that that he was actually in the midst of making near the end of his oh, life. Oh wow! So he is in the movie and he gives interviews. Okay, that's um, kind of cool. Yeah, he he died earlier this year, Sydney yeah. Poitier. Oh in god, his 90s. it really was that recently, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was. Wow. It, it was pretty recently. This is a film that was um, produced by Oprah. Oprah's in the movie, and. Uh, that's significant mm. uh, because both Sidney Sidney Poitier, uh, Oprah tells this story. Mm. Uh, Sidney Poitier uh, approached her at some event mm. uh, where celebrities are hanging out, mm. and like recently or like a long time ago, when, like when they first met okay. long, a while back. Mm. And uh, Oprah Winfrey was feeling a lot of pressure. She, you know, she had a very popular show, but she was also getting a lot of criticism for her show and. She, in particular, uh, was receiving a certain kind... I don't remember exact words, but she said she was getting a lot of uh, criticism from the black community mm. for, uh, in, in her words, be, like being too palatable for white audiences. Mm. And Sidney Poitier, in his career, was actually accused of something very similar. Yeah. Uh, and so he says to Oprah at one point, it's, it's difficult when other people are like... I'm paraphrasing other people where you are forced to carry other people's dreams. Mm. Like you have to be the image for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, Sidney Poitier was, uh, is from the Bahamas. Mm. Uh, he starts the story with that. He, that he should have died when he was born because he was two months premature. Mm. Uh, and they were so sure that he was going to die that they actually ran out and got a makeshift casket while he was still a baby. Oh wow. It's like, we're going to, yeah, we're going to bury this child tonight, but he survived. Uh, he grew up in the Bahamas as a young boy uh, without uh, indoor plumbing, without mm. electricity, without cars. Uh, he was li- living in a very rural community, and uh, he had a lot of respect for his parents. He always, His respect for his parents drove a lot of what he did. He always wanted to be respected when he entered a room. Mm. Uh, he tells stories about how he first entered civilization, how he had a few odd jobs, how he first got into acting. He really liked acting. Uh, how he listened to radio announcers on how to speak. Uh, he because mm. he could speak English, but he yeah. spoke it with a uh, Bahaman accent. Right. And somebody says you you have to speak. You can't speak like a Bahaman. That's going to limit your the t- types of roles you're going to get. Yeah. Okay. You need, to learn, you need to know accents. As having an actor, grown yeah. up in the Bahamas and having only heard that is like, how do I speak? I guess I need to listen to these radio announcers or listen to radio announcers. And as such, he came out with. Uh, the uh, Sidney Poitier is the only person who has that accent. Uh, he has the <laughs> Sidney Poitier voice. Yeah, he's got a distinct, yeah, very sharp, clipped, well-spoken, but like 
very uh, mannered form. Of it's speech. it's a really really great voice actually. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love it. I love the way yeah, it speaks. It's, it's, full, um, it's full of it's full of dignity, but you're right, it's very distinct. Yeah, uh, dignity was a theme in Sidney Poitier's life. Yeah. Uh, he because he respected his parents, he wanted to act in roles that would essentially make his parents proud, make sure mm. his his name was respected. Yeah, so, so he, he didn't, didn't see him play any villains or Yeah, anything. he didn't play villains. He didn't, like, he played criminals, but he played, like, respected criminals, decent mm. people. Was, well, like, he was in the Defiant Ones. He yeah, was on a chain uh, gang there, but the whole point is that movie was humanizing both him and Tony Curtis. Exactly, yeah. and, and, like, they actually came to, you know, respect one another. Yeah. He loved these kinds of stories. So you, see, you saw him play teachers a lot um when in lilies of the field he played Mm. this uh this handyman who stumbled into a convent and sort of brought you know life and you know built things in this convent right uh he won a couple of academy awards he became he was he won he won a competitive award for lilies of the field he Mm. was nominated for the defiant ones and then he wasn't nominated again ever he was but he won an honorary honorary award award, i think in like 2001 or something like that recently it it was a year um spike lee won an oscar Mm. and uh spike lee got up on stage holding his oscar it's like you're giving it to me you just gave it to Sidney poitier it's like (laughs) uh spike lee is interviewed in the movie as well um but yeah, they did bring up that because he was insistent, Sidney Poitier was insistent on playing these very dignified, uh, erudite roles, these kinds of characters, uh, a lot of people in the black community accused him of being too palatable for white mm. audiences. And uh, he addresses that. It's like, I I didn't mean, I, I didn't want to do that, Sidney Poitier says. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to play respectful characters. Mm-hmm. That's who I am and that's that who I wanted to be. was his personal decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, he's, and he stuck with it. It's like, yes, and I got all of these things, but that's not up to me. Um, yeah. They do go into, he was a pretty upstanding, straight-laced dude. Mm. Although he did have an affair with Diane Carroll. Wow! Uh, so, he, uh, he, he did divorce uh, his wife. He had an affair with Diane Carroll. That didn't work out either. He, uh, I think he married his second wife. We hear from all of his kids. His kids are all, all have positive things to say. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we were just sort of all part of the same family, and he was always very careful to. So it sounds like it was a really good dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it? Is it? My, my, my question for you is this. I, I have nothing but respect for Sidney Boy. Mm-hmm. I've never really heard anyone say anything negative about him. Mm-hmm. But um, is it just kind of like, here's how great he was, the movie? Or is there anything, like, kind of revelatory or more nuanced um, or funny? Like, what are we... Is it, Or is it just basically, here's everything that made Sidney Poitier great? It's essentially, here's everything made Sidney Poitier great. And, and all of the people right. that knew him and, you know, critics and fans and, uh, you know, just people who have something interesting to say. Uh, here's something I didn't know about Sidney Poitier, and I, I feel kind of dumb for not knowing this, huh. but he and Harry Belafonte oh, yeah. had a really interesting relationship. Hmm. Uh, they would spend a lot of time together. They became very good friends, and then evidently uh, Harry Belafonte had a massive temper, and he could hold a grudge. So they'd get in a big fight, they wouldn't talk for like 15 years, and then they'd reunite and they'd be friends again. And that's... <laughs> And that like kind of happened on and off for many many years. Uh, I wish they had spent a little bit more time in this documentary on his directing career. Yeah, because he directed he, a number of films. Directed a lot of movies actually. Yeah. Some of them are very very popular. A lot of them suck. Well, uh, that is that is that is fair. But he did he, he did Stir Crazy. That was yeah. a big hit. Well, but you know he made a lot of these kind of lightweight, not very ne- not necessarily very deep comedy films. Yeah. 
And uh, he worked with Bill Cosby on numerous occasions. His, his last movie as a director, Sidney mm-hmm. Poitier, was the Bill Cosby movie Ghost Dad. Go- Sidney Poitier yep. directed Ghost Dad. To be fair... Those types of comedies were like a kind of a big deal, especially in the eighties. Those were like some of the biggest yeah, like movies. Kind of... Like Three Men and a Baby was the highest grossing film of the year it came out. Mm. That's fucking weird by today's standards. By today's but standards, that, those, yeah, that's yeah. where the money was. So yeah, this is that was doubt- him potentially were, making a hit film. You know, I think you know? were it not for Jurassic Park, Mrs. Doubtfire would have been the was, biggest hit of that year. Yeah, um, Home Alone was very nearly the biggest yeah. hit of that year. I'm thinking it even might have been domestically, but like, mm. yeah, like these were big deals back then, and nowadays you'd never do that. Well, the, that yeah. just wouldn't happen. But yeah, yeah and, and some comedies like we're going back to like um, mm. years after the fact. We went back to Crocodile Dundee, but that mm. was like in the early two thousands. We're getting another Hocus Pocus. Yeah, uh, but that, even that's just going straight to streaming. They're not trying to make that into a big blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. you know. So, I mean, it's fine. Mm. It's it is what it is. You know, but tastes they, and, uh, and whatever's. Whatever makes money changes over time, but yeah, that, it's just, it's a, it was a different universe, is my point. They they talked about how he moved into directing. I was like, yeah, I guess I could do this, but he he talks very briefly about why he made the co- these like kind of fallow comedies he did, and mm-hmm. I would like to know a little bit more about his directing style, yeah. why he chose to do those projects. Uh, he has nothing to say about Bill Cosby. I wish he could. Uh, there's a lot to say there, and he didn't bring it up. Got, well, was, uh, or, or did it just not make the cut? One yeah, wonders. that's true. Maybe, so maybe he did curious. talk about Bill yeah. Cosby, but yeah, it's that. That's not in this in the final movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a, so it's not a warts and all kind of thing. It's no, uh, it's no, no. A, okay. I I recently watched, and I'll talk about it more when it officially comes out. I was able to see a film for a film festival. I was able to see it early, and eventually it'll come out. It's called The Ghost of Richard Harris. Okay, and Richard Harris is one of the better better actors of the second half of the twentieth century. Uh, you might know him from uh, uh, he was in Camelot, he was in Gladiator, mm-hmm. and everything in between. He, he was in the la- uh, the first two Harry Potter movies. Yes, <laughs> they tell a good story about him he's in that a- one too. Where he was he he said um, he had like a choice between doing that and Gandalf, and his daughter said, "You know, I'll, father, I'll, granddaddy, I'll never forgive you if you don't play Gandalf. If you don't play uh, uh, Dumbledore." Uh-huh. I said, "So I had to do it." And so he would like go to the red carpets and he'd tell the story with this little girl by his side. And then the movie is mostly from the perspective of his children, uh-huh. and, and later his granddaughter shows up as well. Uh, as they're trying to like just talk about like our dad was a very complicated man. He was drunk. He was absent all the time. Yeah, he was a uh, notorious alcoholic. Well, he hated the term alcoholic. He preferred drunk. Apparently, okay. <laughs> he was like notorious drunk. I'm not then. falling, but he said I'm not falling back on it because I'm compensating for something. I just really look, like being drunk. Look, yeah. Look, I don't, up, I'm not sure I agree with that semantical definition, but that's a quote in the movie. Look up any any of his appearances on like late night talk shows. Oh, yeah. He's got a different story about he and Peter O'Toole like getting yeah. so drunk they barfed on each other. Anyway, so in this documentary, for example, they they there's a little anecdote where they talk about that thing where he, he told the story a whole bunch of times how mm. he he had to play Dumbledore or his daughter or his granddaughter would never forgive him. And they talk to the granddaughter. Says, I never fucking said that. <laughs> he fucking did, he did that so that he have the best red carpet story yeah that's what he did that's why he played Dumbledore because he came up with the best red carpet story that's the only reason he did that shit did he audition for Gandalf or is that a lie I don't don't know apparently it's true I don't know I wouldn't be shocked it's Mm. he was he was age-appropriate for it It was around the time yeah Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard Sean Connery turned it down as well for a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 
All right, yeah, you, you take the project that looks good. In front he, of you. He, it made sense to him at the time; it was the wrong choice. And then after that, he quit acting forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, well, but I, that, I, it's, I, it's a, I, my point is this: that Richard Harris is a warts and all person. Yeah, there's a ton of really unflattering yeah, well, stories about him in that documentary, and I prefer documentaries about someone's life to be something that I couldn't maybe find on like a wikipedia page yeah, i'd uh, want to see some like real insight yeah. does it have any insight or is it just basically if you didn't know sydney poitier was great you can watch this documentary it, it gives like it it's for people who already know who he is and already like him okay. so it just sort of goes a little bit into more detail about what he was all about you know a little bit more about his early life and his personal mm-hmm. life uh yeah the the details I wanted aren't necessarily in the final cut of him talking about his directing career, yeah. him, him being an ambassador. He was an ambassador briefly. Oh, yeah, like about a little that, bit yeah. about that. Uh, they don't mention sneakers at all. Shame ah, for shame. Oh God. That's another thing in this Richard Harris documentary where uh, I'm watching it and it's like, Oh yes. And here are these brilliant movies are made in the sixties and Camelot was a really, really big deal. And he sang that song about leaving a cake out in the rain. And then we're not even mentioning Orca. And I'm like, <laughs> come on. We're not gonna, they don't mention any of like the really, embarrassing shit he was in like that that Bo Derek Tarzan movie which is one of the worst things ever like just leave all that I'm like you're telling me there were no good stories that came out of Orca I I do not uh, believe you when uh, when Edgar Wright made the Sparks document the Sparks Brothers uh his goal was to go through their entire discography and they're incredibly prolific so it's Mm -hmm. like 20 some albums and uh some of the crappier albums Uh it's like okay here's their heyday here's their sort of reinvention period this long fallow period in the early 2000s they put out a record that was just called balls and uh <laughs> god bless sparks and uh and yeah like when they're getting into this period where they put out like three bad records in a row it's like yeah balls wasn't very good okay next record <laughs> they're just speeding through the I, battle i appreciate it's you have a documentary unless you're doing like a ken burns thing you have a limited amount of time mm. you're picking your battles maybe you didn't have the footage there maybe you, people didn't want to talk no. About his directing because maybe it wasn't as interesting as his acting. Maybe. I don't know, but it is frustrating when that's the thing you want to hear about. Yeah, and but here's the thing though: these documentaries are made for all different types of people and all different kinds of audiences, and I respect that there is a documentary that's basically yeah, just uh, here's why this person was important. Oh, you, I can appreciate you know what, um, that. It's not necessarily what I'm looking for, but I can appreciate that. There's a moment in Sydney where uh, he's talking about you know playing these sort of dignified characters, and he's I guess yeah. he was coming to dinner, and uh, he. Uh, those kinds of movies about these upstanding black mm. characters in a, yeah. in around a bunch of other white characters yeah uh, started to uh, fall way out of fashion mm. in the 1960s yeah and especially in the 1970s because why go to a movie where you can uh, why would a black audience go to see a movie and this is something uh, I think Spike Lee says this why would a black yeah. audience go to see a movie about a black man being respectful? When you can go to a black exploitation movie and watch a black cop shoot the man, yeah, like all of a sudden you know there are these sort of like vengeful heroes of uh, of uh, you know racial equality. So uh, I wish there had been a little bit more from Sidney Poitier himself on sort of changing film styles and how he mm. had to start looking for other roles or just sort of accept that the kinds of roles he wanted to play weren't popular anymore. Yeah, that doesn't really. It's, get... it's... 
it's, delved into enough. It's interesting, actually. I, I actually uh, recently <clears throat> watched all the films in the in the Heat of the Night series, which mm. a lot of people forget had sequels. Yeah. In the Heat of the Night was this Oscar-winning movie. Uh, Sidney Poitier starred in alongside uh, Rod well, Steiger. Rod Steiger, yeah. Rod Steiger was, I think, won an Oscar for that movie. Poitier wasn't even nominated. How the fuck did that happen? But um, it's really, really great movie. Poitier is a uh, uh, respectable, dignified, um, I think, New York cop who happens to be visiting the South, and he gets accosted by racist cops. But it turns out he's... A visit. He's a cop. He's a cop, and that there's recently been a murder, and he's been asked to help them solve it in this incredibly racist community. Awesome movie. Great. Holds up really good. Solid flick. Um, it had a sequel called They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, mm-hmm. which was about him um, in a really complicated ethical conundrum regarding uh, a respected politician who may or may not have committed a murder. Uh, and it's actually like a politician that he supports. So what is he going to do? Is he going to like come out and be public about the investigation? Is he going to like whatever? It's kind of interesting. And it's then the the third film. What the fuck was the third film called? I'm going to look yeah, it up because it's going to drive me nuts. Yeah, the third say. film in the Heat of the Night series co-stars Raul Julia. And uh. it's all about a... Citizens Vigilante Group that wants uh, Sidney Poitier, who is still a cop, to help them in an official capacity to do all the stuff that the cops can't do. Mm. And Raul Julia is the leader of the leader of the vigilantes, oh, that's and that's a great premise. Not a great movie, but it's a great premise. So it's interesting just to see those movies, this incredibly honorable Mister Tibbs detective, get put in more complicated ethical situations as the seventies okay. moved on. And while none of the sequels are as good as the original, they're good. And especially Call Me Mr. Tibbs is pretty interesting. So I'm going to look up uh, uh, what that other film is. But uh, last thoughts on Sydney while I do that. Uh, uh, no, no last thoughts. Oh, one. okay. Well, fuck that then. Sorry about that. Done. It's a good, uh, and I'm sure they didn't plan this th- <sighs> this way, but it's it's a good tribute to you know, a Hollywood legend. Yeah. And I think well, they, they get a lot of interesting people uh, to say a lot of interesting things about this very interesting man. Oh, all right. Uh, the, the, in the Heat of the Night came out in 67. They Call Me Mr. Tibbs came out in 1970. And then The Organization came the out organization. in 71. Wow. So really quick succession, actually. Yeah. All right, uh, so that is it for Critically Acclaimed. Those are our reviews this week. We're going to wrap up our films uh, with the Critically Acclaimed scale. We review films on a scale of C- to C+. C- is below average. We don't recommend it. Maybe it's terrible. Maybe it's just not very good. C is average. Some good, some bad. More for one audience than another. And C- is above average. We genuinely recommend those movies. Maybe we think they're brilliant. Maybe we just think they're really fun. But Mm -hmm. those are unabashed recommendations. On that note, Whitney, Sydney. Uh, Sydney, C+. Plus. Okay. I think this is, yeah, a, a, a wonderful tribute. Awesome. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll do Lou. Mm. Uh, Lou is an exceptional thriller. It's, okay. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it does it really, really well. It's excitingly mm. directed. Allison Janney is great. Uh, and if you, I think if you like thrillers, you should seek this out. Mm. And if you don't like thrillers, you should still seek this out. It's really good. It's a C+. Plus. Uh, tell me, what was the next... I don't know. Tell me about another. What was uh, another the, film? The Justice you did? of Bunny King. The Justice of Bunny King. Uh, the Justice of Bunny King. Uh, C plus. Mm. Definitely a C plus. Uh, like I said, I wasn't wasn't too big on the ending, but uh, mm. 
in creating a character study and also tell a story of social injustice, it, this is first rate. It's really, really terrific. Awesome. Uh, Raven's Hollow is sadly a C minus. An interesting premise is undermined by. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of an overly severe and joyless execution and a script that starts off being kind of clever and ultimately has some really ill-advised things to say about Mm. Poe's more tragic elements in his life. Uh, I'm fine with doing historical fiction, but there comes a point where you're being kind of disrespectful and irresponsible, and this movie crosses that line a bit. And unfortunately, that's not even the only problem with it. So uh, a bit of a pity there. Uh, next up, uh, Catherine called Birdie. Uh, also C+. Mm. Yeah, this this is a, a very sweet, very enjoyable, very warm film for kids. Uh, and, and for adults as well. Mm. I think Lena Dunham really understands that the thing that draws uh, people into this kind of a story is the characters and the scenario. It's rarely the plot, especially when it's yeah. uh, a plot as contrived as the one in Catherine called Birdie. But we know it's contrived, and Lena Dunham knows it contrived and she's really uh, doing everything she can and is successful in uh, building a whole world around it rather than just focusing on it. Cool. All right. Uh, Athena, a French film on Netflix uh, about uh, the start of a new civil war after a scene of police brutality. Uh, Really excitingly filmed. The drama isn't always great, but it picks up again at the end. I'm torn between giving it a really high C Okay. And a C plus. I really, really am. I'm going to. Ah, oh, jeez. What mood am I in? <laughs> am I feeling kind or am I feeling critical? Because it really is just riding that edge. Uh, you, you can, you can, you know, it's our scale. You can just say it's on the edge. And I, it is on the edge. It it feels like cheating though. So I feel like I gotta, I gotta pick one. I'm gonna tell you it's on the edge, but I'm gonna give it a really high C. Mm. Uh, I think if anything I described about it sounds exciting to you, you should see it. You probably enjoy it. If, on the other hand, you're concerned about, oh, bravura filmmaking, but does it ultimately have the story to back it up? Kind of, not really, but sort of hmm. is, is where it boils down to. So, uh, but yeah, exciting filmmaking, not the best storytelling. Right. Uh, and then uh, lastly, Don't Worry Darling. Uh, that's a C-. minus. Oh. Yeah, just the... Good actors, beautiful cast, great costumes, wonderful mm. sumptuous photography, weird nightmare Suspiria images, bad ideas, ah. not interesting ideas, not rich, uh, compelling ideas. Uh, a lot of energy and art put into very little story or thought. Well, that's unfortunate, is yeah. it not? Um, all right. Well, that's uh, uh, that's the uh, film for this week. Yeah, some some people are very uh, very negative on this movie. Yeah, uh, it's it's not as bad as all that. It's just a little bit hollow, and that's yeah. an issue. Bummer. Well, um, that is it. Sorry we couldn't get to Moon Age Daydream. I wanted to see that. I also haven't yeah. to see Woman King yet, but I will see it soon. Uh, next time on Critically Acclaimed, you're going to be reviewing new releases like Smile, a horror movie about smiling a lot. Mm. You know, like you do. Uh, the greatest beer run ever. That's which, the title of the movie. Which is which is a movie about beer in Vietnam. And also uh, the new romantic comedy, Bros. I do want to see Bros. I am excited about all these movies. Maybe they'll all be good. Who can say? So we'll talk about those and probably others. Oh, Spirit Halloween the movie comes out that week. Oh, shit. I gotta see that. That actually sounds kind of cute. Yeah. Uh, it's about kids who's like staying in a Spirit Halloween. Spirit, if you don't know what we're talking about, Spirit Halloween is a... Um, um, 
Oh, they know what we're talking Not about. Not everyone does. It's, oh, okay. we, we have international listeners. So right. uh, around uh, August, September, and October. It, it used uh, to be late September. Now it's early August. Now it's early August. But there's a series of pop-up stores. And what they'll do is they'll take a building that just doesn't happen to have anyone in it right now. Mm-hmm. And they'll just say, fuck it. You're a Spirit Halloween for the next three months. And Spirit Halloween is a Halloween supply store. They have costumes, a lot of really cool decorations, yeah, makeup, masks, whatever you need. Uh, they're, they've been a part of my life for as long as I can remember at this point. Mm-hmm. And so the premise of the movie is a bunch of like young kids uh, dare each other to stay overnight in the middle of a spirit Halloween. And of course it's haunted and shit happens. Right. Uh, uh, it's the, a fun premise. The joke about spirit Halloween is that, uh, that's the name of the store, spirit Halloween, yeah. uh, is that they... They immediately move in. They move in as soon as something dies. Yeah. Like, they're, they're the vulture. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a, a clear sign that something is like ser- super out of business is you'll see the Spirit ba- uh, Spirit Halloween banner uh, on the empty store. Right. Like, Coming soon, Spirit Halloween. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember the... Uh, when uh, Donald Trump was hiding in a bunker and they turned right. the lights off on the White House. And they put a Spirit and Halloween. So, and so, yeah, somebody show, photoshopped a Spirit Halloween banner on it. It's like, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cute. Exactly. So anyway, hopefully uh, I'll check But how, how, how telling that there's a Spirit Halloween movie mm-hmm. right when theater attendance is pretty low and all these theaters <laughs> close down. All the theaters are Spirit Halloween. The the screens (laughs) themselves are now occupied by the Vulture Spirit Halloween. Oh, that reminds me. Something else coming out next week. Hocus Pocus 2. I I probably won't see it because I haven't seen Hocus Pocus 1. um, It's cute. That's what I've heard. Okay. Anyway, that's coming up next time on Critically Acclaimed. Thank everybody for listening. Thank everybody for joining us. If you want to listen to our show without ads, you can head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. In addition to that, we have a ton of exclusive shows, including our shows, uh, all, all Our Yesterdays. We review every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We have uh, commentary tracks. We just released a commentary track for Dracula with 1931 with Bela Lugosi. We have uh, shows about the Academy Awards. We have shows about the Step Up movies for some reason. We have polls. We have a ton of stuff. We have uh, hangouts with all of our patrons, with some of our patrons. Uh, you know, there's there's tears, but like, yeah, sure. we have we have all that stuff over there. So if you join up, you get a lot of cool stuff. Thank you everybody who joined up. You keep our show going. Hmm. Means the world to us. Thank you for everything. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Um, and of course we're on Twitter at Critic Claim. I'm at William Bibiani I'm at Whitney Seibold if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode or anything else you want us to talk about send us an email our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net hmm. Whitney what is our P.O. Box yeah, send us a physical letter to P.O. Box 641565 Los Angeles, California 90064 yeah and um I guess that's about it that's it thank you for listening uh, never forget everyone's a critic. I wanna go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co.